Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. Today we're going to talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to celebrate that he is no longer in the grave, but he is alive. And I'm excited about that. Excited about that. Before we get going, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's coming to this room today. I pray that you would strengthen us, open our hearts, God, open our minds, and help us to understand your gospel today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You can be seated. Today, if you'd like, in the lobby, I have brought some product with me, some CDs. If you'd like to pick some of those up, you can. Today, we celebrate the passion of Jesus Christ. We chronicle and we commemorate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord. The moment that deity encountered humanity. All of the world had waited. All of history had waited with bated breath on this one moment that we call Easter. This one moment to happen. And the funny thing is, the vast majority of them that were alive and present in that time actually missed their encounter. Because they were looking for something different. They didn't think it would look the way that it looked. And so today I want to talk to you about your encounter. I know that some of you are here because, man, you love Jesus and you're excited about Easter. And then others of you were dragged here kicking and screaming because this is uh, the one time of year that you come. And, I, and we thank you for coming. I'm glad you're here. I thank you for being here. And, and what I want you to understand today is you have an opportunity to have an encounter. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. Jesus, in the beginning of this week, Jesus did what we call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And before he did so, he called his disciples together and he said, listen, if you'll go on into town, there's a donkey and a colt. If you'll bring them to me. And if anybody says, why are you taking these animals? Just tell them, the Lord hath need. That's what the King James says. The Lord hath need. And they'll say, take it. And so they did. Matthew chapter 21, verse 4 says all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying tell the daughter of Zion behold your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey a colt the foal of a donkey Jesus was was fulfilling hundreds of years of prophecy by riding in on a colt he was signifying to the Jewish people your king has come this was a sign to them that they should have recognized. Verse 7 says, They brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. And others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, Who is this? So the multitude said this, is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee? 
Now, now, let me tell you something else, and it's such a cool thing. The reason he rode in on a cult is because in Jewish tradition, a king who was a warring king, who was at war, still establishing his kingdom, would ride into a town on a stallion, on a war horse. But a king who had already conquered, who had already established his kingdom, would not ride in on a war horse because he wasn't at war. He would ride in on a cult signifying it's been done. And what this said to the Jewish people what, what it said in their minds is your battle with the Roman Empire is over. You don't have to fight anymore. This is your new king, and he's going to restore us to our rightful place of ruling. They were enamored with what he represented, but completely missed who he was. They thought he was going to come and fix all of their external issues, and they missed that he was coming to fix an internal problem that they didn't even know they had. They thought he was going to establish a kingdom on the earth, but he was establishing a kingdom in their heart. I've met many believers, especially new believers, who believe that whenever they give their life to Jesus by some miracle, everything's going to be perfect. I gave my life to Jesus. It's going to be roses and butterflies. Money's going to come out of nowhere, and it's, we're going to call it blessings. And my marriage that's in shambles is going to get put back together, and my kids who are crazy are going to all of a sudden be sane. It's amazing. And it doesn't work like that because Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. He may not fix all of your external issues, but he will give you internal peace. That is the promise that you have, the Savior. The problem is they, they missed it. They thought it was going to happen one way. Have you ever thought something was going to happen one way and it turned out just different than what you thought it was going to happen? Like you had prepared and you had planned, you were like, it's going to be awesome. And then whenever it happened, you were like, it's, it wasn't awesome. I love Texas, man. I'm a Louisiana boy, but I'm transplanted, and I love Texas. And today, I'll tell you this, today, my mama would be proud because I didn't wear my cowboy boots. I wore my church shoes today. I wore my slacks, you know. I wore my I'm, a, I'm a cowboy. I used to ride bulls and saddle bronc horses in high school, and I love rodeo, and I love, I, you know, God has blessed um, the earth with country music. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. They're going to play country in heaven. It's going to happen. Um, <laughs> just get used to it right down here on earth. And I... Uh, so one of the things that we, have, if that offends you, God bless you. One of the things that we have in Houston is we have the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. And I love going to the rodeo. It's one of the largest rodeos, if not the largest indoor rodeo in the world. And they have the, all of these different artists that come. And, and, I, you know, and I don't care really about who the artist is. I just like going out there and hanging out. It's a lot of fun. And, and I learned something because preachers learn tricks. And uh, I learned something that you can buy the $19 ticket. And the, the six, they'll put you in the 600s up there in the nosebleeds, but they'll let you anywhere in the building. And so if you know these tricks, see, they have these, these seats that are right behind the chutes. They're called the chute seats, and they're about 400 bucks. But what they do right before the artist comes out, they stand all of those folks up, and they move them out on the field. And if you know that this is going to happen, you can position yourself to walk into the promise and the provision of God that's the reason some of y'all hadn't got a blessing. You hadn't positioned yourself. you on the other side of the theater asking God to move. No, I'm just, I'm, sorry, I'm, just, I'm just playing. I'm not preaching. Much of the chagrin and embarrassment of my wife, I'm elbowing people like, no, no, huh, no, I'm right here. I got line first, you know. So they opened the seats, and, and that night, um, uh, Pastor Keith Urban was preaching that night. He was sharing the gospel message. There's a new wind blowing like I've never known. I'm breathing deeper than I've ever done. Hey, we had worship. Now it's time for... I'm sorry, Pastor. I... <laughs> it's 
man, I'm fired up, you know, and we like, we like Pastor Keith at our house. Um, we, call him, we call him Keith, first name basis. And we, get, we get down there, and we're on the front. We're right on the front. We're, we're, we're right there on the front, and, and, and Keith comes out there, and he's singing. He's flipping his hair all around, his little tattoos. You know, he's just, he's, just, he's, he's just out there dancing and singing, and he jumps off the stage. He jumps off the stage. He starts walking around the arena. And I begin to pray, Lord, let him pass by here. <laughs> and he starts coming our way. I'm like, come on, reel him in. Come on, Jesus. And he gets, he gets really close. And then he starts climbing the bucking chutes right in front of And I got a picture of it. Show him my picture. Right, look. Okay, so that's me. I'm right. I'm taking a picture. And Keith is climbing the bucking chutes. And he's still singing. Then he hands his mic to the security guard. And he starts climbing over. And at this point, my wife has handed me the camera. And handed me the phone. And handed me the video. And, and she's over there screaming, Keith! Keith! And I'm like, that ain't my name. If you wanted, you should have put a ring on it. Oh, 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 oh. Screaming and hollering. She's like, take a picture. And then he crawls over. He didn't walk towards her. He walks towards me. And it's perfect, man. I can get a video. And I, got, I actually got a video up close and personal with Keith Urban. You guys want to see it? Show my video. That's it. Mostly because I was going, Keith, oh my God. They kicked me out. Had to sneak back in. It didn't happen the way that I thought it was going to (laughs) happen. I expected it to go just a little bit differently than that. My expectations were not met. I wonder what your expectations are on Easter. I wonder what does Jesus mean to you. Maybe Today, you're celebrating the greatest day in Christian faith. Or maybe today, he doesn't mean very much to you. Maybe today, you just, you just came because family came. Maybe you've never met Jesus. Or maybe the Jesus you met was the judgmental Jesus, the mean Jesus, the angry Jesus, the Jesus that wants to kill you. Here's the truth. No one can explain him. Nobody can speak for him. No one can define him. And definitely, no one can experience him for you. The Jewish people had so put Jesus in a box. They had so thought that he was going to look this one way. Their king was going to look this one way. He was going to come with a sword and he was going to give them victory. And they were going to rule that whenever he came with peace, they didn't see him. And ultimately, they killed him. Jesus changed everything. Everything that was and everything that would ever be. So the challenge that I want to make to you today is don't let anyone define him for you. He's not who you think he is. He's not the angry crowd screaming vitriolic hatred hurling bricks at an abortion clinic. You won't find Jesus in that crowd. He's not the mean-spirited, sign-waving mob screaming God hates queers. You won't find Jesus in that crowd. If you've ever felt just a little bit of love, then you felt a little bit of Jesus because my Bible says that God is love. Why are you talking about this? Why are, we, why are we talking about this today? Here's why we're talking about this. Because I want you to encounter His love and His mercy and His grace and His peace and His hope. And here's why. Because whenever I was a kid, Pastor, I didn't know much about His grace. I knew about His anger. 
I was scared of Jesus. I knew he loved me, but I thought he might also be looking for a reason to kill me. I mean, you've got to think about that. Think about the prayers that we used to pray over our children. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, Lord, your soul to keep. And if you die before you wake, I pray the Lord your soul to take. Good night. See you in the morning. Maybe. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Don't take me now. <laughs> I didn't live for God out of grace and fulfillment. I lived for God out of guilt and fear. Most of the time that I prayed, I was asking God for forgiveness for all of the wrong things that I had done. I spent a lot of my teenage years in my early 20s trying to get good enough to get God trying through my actions to make myself worthy. Literally believing, and let me shatter this belief, literally believing that there was this line in the sand and somehow whenever I was in good graces and I was doing everything right and I'd ask for forgiveness that day that Jesus loved me and he would save me. But if I made one mistake that day, all of a sudden I'm outside of the line and his grace is not enough and his mercy is not sufficient and somehow I've got to beg and plead to get back over the line of grace. And so God to me was like an on-again, off-again girlfriend, a relationship that I never could quite get right until I realized that I would never get it right. That I could never earn it. I could never deserve it. I could never buy it. If I could, it wouldn't be grace. If you could live good enough, you wouldn't even need Jesus. I had the revelation that grace covers the ground that I can't. Do your best and grace will cover the rest. I had this revelation really when I became a father. Man, I love my kids. I got a picture of my kids. I think I'll show you all a picture of my kids. Maybe there's, there's my family, my little sweet family. And we, we had the newest one two years ago. Show her, the, show her my pictures of my, of my little baby. Look at, look at that. We're we cowboys, man. I mean, look. He's got a little... We love to laugh. We, we have a good time. And, and uh, a few, a few uh, weeks ago, my middle daughter, she runs track. And uh, she, was, she was at a track meet. And so we brought my little two-year-old out there. And we're at the track meet. And they had this little playground right next to the track, behind the fence, this little playground. So it was perfect. So we brought the little two-year-old over. Her name's Jillian. We call her Jilly Bean, little Jilly. And, um, and, she's, and she's out there playing and everything. And I'm kind of hanging out and everything's cool. And track meets are forever long. And so after like... After like two hours, like all the parents just like go and dump their kids, no matter what. There's like 15-year-olds running around in there, you know? <laughs> and so we're, we're sitting there, and there's this and my little baby. She's going down the slide, and she comes down the slide. And then there's like this little seven-year-old boy, eight-year-old boy, and he's like, move. <laughs> I look like a preacher. There's some thug in here that y'all don't see. Okay. He's like, move, and I'm like, all right, buddy, let's play nice. <laughs> and he's like, Geronimo! and he jumps on the slide, and he's hurling at breakneck speed towards my baby. Going to hit her in the back with his feet. And so I just politely, as he got closer, I was like, okay, let's not do that. And I scooped him off the slide. I didn't mean to throw him off the slide. I just scooped him off the I told him, hey, we're going to have a good time. Let's just not do that. And then I took my baby and my oldest daughter was like, my God, Dad, did you see him? And I was like, what? She goes, you threw him off the slide. And I looked over and he's running to his mom. It's like, ah. I was like, you go tell your daddy. Tell him to come over here and step to me. You want to play? You want some? Bring it. I'll put Jesus and a whipping on him. <laughs> I love my kids. I'll fight for my kids, man. 
Hey, let me tell you this. I love you guys. And I don't know. I hope that if, if somebody came in and tried to do harm to one of you, that I would throw my body in front of the, I don't know if that would happen or not. Let's not try it, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I want to say that I But I can tell you this. If it's between you and my kids, God bless y'all. I love you. I'll pray with you. We'll like pray it out. We'll do whatever you need to do. And then, and then God bless you. I love my kids. I'd fight for my kids. God didn't fight for his. He loved you so much that he gave his only son. I can't imagine giving my child for you. I love you, but not that much. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Grace isn't fair. It doesn't make sense. You can't earn it and you can't buy it. If you could, it wouldn't be grace. The challenge is in your ability to accept it and realize you cannot do enough. Grace isn't a human concept. It's a God concept. If you punch me in the face, <laughs> I'll probably forgive you. Maybe. It's circumstantial. You don't know. Let's not try it. You punch me once, I might, I maybe forgive you. Maybe, I don't know, we don't know. You punch me again, I'm gonna get a ball bat and pookie in them. I'm gonna get the vatos locos. We're gonna come after you. I'm gonna let you know. We're gonna play games. Slap me again. Watch, see what happens. I learned that from my mama. <laughs> Say it again. She didn't understand grace. Don't tell her I said that, Pastor. <laughs> you don't tell her I said that. God is different than that. He forgives, and then he forgets. It's not a human concept. It's a God concept. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you think you're in here sitting around people that are better than you, you're not. We're on a level playing field. Nobody can be good enough. For those of you who've, who've made failures all your life, you're in a room with a bunch of people who've made failures all their life. If you're in here, if you're in here and you think you've got it all together and you, no, you don't understand, I'm doing well, God. I rebuke you of that self-righteous spirit. You can't be good enough. That's what grace is for. Here's what Paul said, Romans chapter 7, verse 18. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. This reads like most of our journals or diaries. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. God knew you couldn't get it right. And that's why Jesus had to die. There was a debt of sin. The wages of sin is death. Somebody had to die so that you could embrace the mercies of God. And Jesus was the sinless sacrifice. He who knew no sin, that's what the Bible says, he who knew no sin became it. A man who'd never done anything wrong all of a sudden accepts all of the responsibility of every sin that was ever done previously and every sin that would ever be committed hence. He becomes sin. And the reason this is, is so that you can receive the mercies and the grace of God. Here's what Lamentations 3.22 said. I get fired up about this. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning 
by morning. New mercies. Do you know what that means? You know what new means? In the Hebrew, the word is chadash. I practice that. Chadash. It literally means something not previously known. New. His mercies are new every morning. But you don't understand. I keep, I keep messing up. Yeah, he keeps making mercy. It's brand new mercy, hot off the press, hot now. You know, Krispy Kreme, hot now. His mercy is hot and ready. It's always ready for you. It's new. You make a mistake, God goes, cool, I just made some mercy, and it's fresh, and it will cover those mistakes, those perpetual sins that you cannot seem to stop, you can't seem to get out of, God will. I'm not preaching that you can live however you want to live. You need to walk according to the Spirit. But grace will cover the parts that you cannot. His ways are not our ways. They're infinitely higher. We're barely beginning to scratch the surface of how much Jesus loves us. Man, I hope there are some people in the room today that, that you had this crazy idea of who God was and we're just blowing it all to pieces. I hope today you realize how much he thought of you. How much he thought of you. Not just y'all. You, it's personal. Do you realize how big this is? This is a big deal that God died for you. Everybody say, me. me. He died for you. That's a big deal. You know why? Because God's huge. It's huge. Psalms chapter 33, verse 6 says, The Lord merely spoke. I love that translation. Merely spoke. And the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. Literally a star-breathing God. You know our sun is a star. You ever looked at our sun? Don't. It'll burn your eyes. <laughs> I have a picture of our sun, I believe. You can look at it. That's, that's our sun. It's really hot. 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. 93 million miles away. A million times the size of the earth. Give them a close-up of it. Yeah, look, okay, so if I had a golf ball right now, that's about the size of the earth next to the sun. It's huge. You can fit 960,000 Earths on the inside of it. And it's not even a big star. If you search just a little bit further into the galaxies and into the universe, you'll find Canis Majoris. Show them Canis Majoris. This is Canis Majoris. This is the, this is the largest star that we've found. Now I want you to look at our sun next to that star. Show them the next picture. Show them, zoom in. Show them the close-up. This is Earth's orbit. If you pull Canis Majoris into full focus, you can't even see our sun. You could fit the entire orbit of our galaxy inside of Canis Majoris. You could put seven quadrillion Earths inside of it. God's big. You know, you know here, here's, here's, I've always heard this. We're going to have a move of God today. God's going to move today. I'm telling you, I feel God moving. And I understand what we're saying, but God don't move. He can't move. Because if he moves, that would mean he would have to go from point A to point B. And he never leaves point A because he is point B. At point A, he never goes to point B because he's already there. If you got in a rocket and you blasted off to the deepest, darkest black hole, he'd be playing peekaboo with you because he was there before you got there. God doesn't move. He manifests. He shows up because he's already there. He's big. It's a big God. The Whirlpool Galaxy, 
got a picture of it. The Whirlpool Galaxy is the first classified spiral galaxy. It was discovered by Charles Messier in 1773. They call it the darling of astronomy because it's perpendicular to us. It's 31 million light years from the Milky Way galaxy. If you got in a rocket and you traveled at 186,000 miles per second for 31 million years, you'd reach this galaxy. Because when you get in God's realm, you have to measure just a wee tad bigger. Because he's a big God. There's 300 billion stars in that galaxy. And out of the billions of galaxies, this one is visible to us. You can even see it through binoculars. A few years ago, the Hubble telescope took a picture of the white core of the galaxy in the black hole. And they posted it on the NASA website. And when I saw this thing, it blew, my, blew my, my head off. I just got so fired up about it. It just blew me away. How, how big God is and how amazing he is and how well thought out he is. And how he thinks of you before he ever created you. When he breathed the stars, when he breathed the galaxies into existence. I put this picture on, on NASA's website. I want you to check it out. This is the white cord nebulous. <laughs> He's so big he wrote his signature in the stars. Scientists even call this the cross. The cross within the Whirlpool Galaxy. God is so big. And so amazing. He planned this thing before the foundation of the world. He called your name before you were even born, before you were even thought of. Out of all his gigantic power, he takes interest in you. In you. We sing this little song in Sunday school. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. If you were really church, you say, he's got you and me, brother. In his hand, he got you and me, sister. And then you go, he got the little bitty baby. In his hand, he got the tea tiny baby. In his hand, he got the baby. He's got the whole world. And he's got you. And the Bible says that he even has the hairs on your head numbered. For some of you, that's easier for him than others. <laughs> he knows you. He cares about you. And his sacrifice on the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the Easter story, holds your life together. It was planned before the earth was born. He planned this thing. And the cross is what holds you together and will always hold your life together. How can I know that? Because not only did he write it in the stars, he wrote it somewhere else. Louis Giglio, a prolific speaker and author. Some of you might have heard of him. He's just an incredible guy. You ought to Google him. He's doing, this, he's doing these series of conferences, traveling around. Uh, keyboard, you can come. So I'll stop preaching and let these wonderful folks go eat something. Louis Giglio is, is, is traveling around. He's finishing his tour in Tyler, Texas. And, and he's finishing preaching. And a guy comes up to him afterwards and says, Louis, where are you going next? He said, well, I've got a couple of weeks off. And then I'm preaching um, two weeks at my home church in Atlanta. He says, what are you going to preach on? He said, I'm going to preach on the glory of, of God in the human body. And the guy goes, that's amazing. I'm a molecular biologist. Give me your talk. But Louis said, I really wasn't ready to give my talk on the glory of God in the human body to a molecular biologist. He said, but he's standing there. He's kind of a pushy little guy. So I gave him my talk. And he said, I could tell he was underwhelmed. He was like, well, Louis, what's your left hook, man? What's your left hook? What's the one that's going to blindside him? Take him, just like freak him out. What's... He said, I had already given it to him. 
So he said, I don't have one. He said, laminin, man. Laminin is your left hook. That's the one. That's the one. It's he said, I mean, that's great. What is it? He said, well, there's between 10 and 60,000 protein molecules in the body. We don't really know how many there are, but there's, there's, there's thousands of them. And, and they, this, one, this one particular one is the rebar of the human body. It's the cell adhesion molecule. It's literally what causes your cells to hold together. Without laminin, your, your body would just be a... It would, just, it would go away. Because this cell, this cell adhesion molecule called laminin is the glue of the human body. You've got to tell them about laminin. And Louis said, I will, and we'll have revival. <laughs> he says, well, you've got to see laminin. He said, well, show it to me. He said, no, nah, you've got to go Google it. Google it. He's like, thanks. God bless you. And he went home, and he Googled it. He did the same thing I did. I Googled it. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God. I had to tell him about laminin. This is amazing. It's a rebar of the human body. It holds it's a cell adhesion molecule. Without it, you can't hold your it's, it's unbelievable. I was all fired up, literally. My wife can tell you I like danced around the chair. I was like, whoa, 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 that kind of thing. Fired up. You gotta, you gotta hear about this. I guess you need to see it, right? Take a look at laminin. Yeah. Yeah, when God made you. He not only wrote his signature in the stars, he put it on every cell of your body. You cannot live without it. The cross is inside of you. Easter. Easter's inside of you. It's crazy that this stuff holds you together. Freak me out. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says this. He is before all things and in him all things hold together for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on the earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross once you were alienated from God and you were the enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior but now he has reconciled you. How? By your actions? No. By Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Listen, whether you believe in God or not, he's already put his signature on you. Your very existence screams, he's alive! <laughs> I don't know if I've told you this or not when I've been here before, but it's so awesome. The Tetragrammatron YHWH, which we, we interpret as Yahweh. But traditional theolo theologists, Jewish theologists, they, they, don't even, they, don't, they say you can't pronounce it. Because it's just YHWH. It's the name of God, Yahweh. They say if you, if you really pronounce it the way that it's spelled, YHWH, it's the sound of breathing. The very first thing you did when you arrived on this planet was say his name. That those who hate him and scream out, God is dead. In between words, they scream, he's alive. By the very breath that they pull in and push out of their bodies. God is not dead. He is alive. And he's here for you today. He's here for you today. Everybody stand with me all across the room.
and maybe you're here today and let me tell you this maybe you're here today and you're not a believer that's okay I'm glad you're here I want you to keep coming back you may never be a believer you'll hear some incredible things that will help your life just keep coming now we are we are tricking you because we do want you to ultimately believe in Jesus but even if you don't I want you to be comfortable I want you to come I want you to keep being here in fact one of the things that I love the most people who just don't believe in God at all okay that's okay we're not going to be mad we're not going to hate you we're going to love you most of us the ones who don't they're not Christians anyway so a few years ago a girl named Mandy walked into our church 21 years old kicking and screaming she didn't want to be there she came because a friend badgered her until she came and she was an atheist because from the age of 6 to right at 21 she had just suffered all kinds of horrible things that I won't tell you about at the hands of people that were supposed to love her she couldn't believe that there actually was a God because if there was a God he would have kept her from those things so she just didn't believe in him in fact she was mad she was mad at Christians she was mad at church she came to church kicking and screaming her friend TC set her on the third row which is awesome didn't believe in God set on the third row And Mandy said after that service, she said, the third song hit, and suddenly I found myself crying. I didn't know why I was crying, but I was crying. She said, I'm I'm weeping, and I felt something that I'd never felt before in my life. She said, my friend reaches over and grabs my hand and begins praying for me, and in that moment, I felt God, and I knew that He was real, and I knew that He loved me. Changed her life, man. She was baptized, she moved to San Antonio, and now she's on Jonathan Moore's worship team in San Antonio because she found out he's alive. He's real. So here's what I want to challenge you to do today. Don't take my word for it. Just try it. Just ask him, Lord, if you're real. That's called hope. We hope he's real put that hope out there it'll be met with some faith and you'll have an experience for yourself and that concludes today's podcast thanks again for listening